Liveline on RT Radio 1 with the all-new Kia Sportage, built for endless inspiration. The all-new Sportage, now at your local Kia dealer. 0818 715 815 Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Liveline. Katie Hannan uh, sitting in for Joe today with you until three o'clock. Now, it's not even 24 hours since we heard the devastating news of the murder of Ashley Murphy. Our deepest, most sincere sympathies of all the team here to Ashling's family, to her friends, to her colleagues, to her, to those children that, that, that she taught and that obviously uh, so loved her. Um, we don't want to add to their grief in any way, but this has unleashed a tsunami of emotions, uh, fear, anger, sadness across, I think, all generations of Irish women and the men who care for us. And we need to talk about this. Pamela, good afternoon. Hello, Katie. You um, called I'm very, Pamela. I feel very nervous, but um, I just, speaking to the person that rang me, I, I just felt duty bound to speak to you because um, I'm just so upset. I'm heartbroken. I'm raging. I'm just, a, just awash with emotions about it. So I'm probably not going to be very coherent. But um, I was also listening to Helen McEntee there on the news and I'm just standing in my kitchen thinking it's the same old, same old, same old sentences coming out and nothing changes, nothing changes. I'm 72. I have daughters myself and I've been afraid of men all my life and nothing changes. Yeah, you got in touch with the programme, Pamela, because that's exactly what you said. You said you'd been afraid of men all your life. What what do you mean by that? Um, Growing up in the culture, growing up um, in the newspapers, growing up when I was small, reading in the newspapers, um, people being murdered, mostly women being murdered by men, on the television, uh, the programmes on the television, even today, they're all about women being murdered by men. I mean... It's just everywhere, and it's just like, um, I think people are asleep. The people must be asleep. Men are asleep anyway. I think the women are awake. I think the men are asleep. I just, I just feel so angry. I think anger is something that I, I'm hearing a lot, and you're seeing it yeah. across social media today. Um, mm. Women feeling, you know, when is it going, are we going to be able to feel safe yes. in public spaces? I, I don't know what to do with the anger. That's that's the thing. I don't know what to do with it. It's like uh, it's like walls. There are walls everywhere. And uh, uh, yes, I just I just don't know. This is the only way. This is the only way I can. I feel I can do anything. And I just as I said, I've just felt duty bound to speak. And I'm not finding it very easy. But um, I just I'm just so heartbroken for that girl. And her family. Absolutely. And I think, again, that's shared by so many people across the country mm. today. You, you have a daughter yourself? I have two daughters, yes. And, uh, like, do they, you know, you've obviously you've talked about this with them. Yes, I've spoken to one daughter. I haven't spoken to my other daughter about it, no. Do you think it has moved on? Do you think that, that it has changed in any way from when you were their age? Um... 
a tiny bit, but they still have to be careful when they go out. I, gr growing up, um, I, we were telling them to be careful, not to walk home alone at night, all the usual stuff. Um, and like that's that's as much as can be done. I, nothing, but nothing has changed. Nothing changes. I, uh, I think there is a sense of, and I know they talk about uh, the reaction in across the water after the that mm. horrific murder of Sarah Everard mm. and um there was a sense then that this has to stop this things have to change mm. but uh, it's difficult to see what you know what has changed i know but even in the sarah everard um case there was that woman who was sort of manhandled by the police and the police in there um like uh, you know, sort of corralling women, be, women because they were pro doing a vigil for Sarah. And, it's, I, you know, even when women want to express that the way they're feeling, they're corralled and they're stopped. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm probably not making any sense. Oh, I know, now. I know you're, you're referring to, of course, it was during the, it was during the restrictions the time vigil, and yes, there so was a vigil for Sarah Everard yes. and there was an issue around how that was policed yes. and... Yes, it's and like I know a lot of people are very angry forces, about that. The forces that control us, that um, we have put into operation, will only let us go so far and then it's sort of, um, yeah, it's just back to square one. Of course, I suppose we should say and we should point out that, that what happened, uh, you know, go, leaving your home and not coming home, uh, not come, mm. getting back to your home isn't something is rare enough an event for a woman in terms of the violence against women. But but of course, we do know that um, many more women are, uh, when they are murdered, are murdered by uh, partners and, and people they know. Mm. Um, actually, my daughter and I were talking about that before we, I came on the phone about, um, I can't remember, um, Cressida Dick saying that it's a very rare occurrence that women are killed like Sarah Everard um, was, and my daughter said, but it, it isn't, it isn't rare, it's, it's not rare. I suppose uh, statistics might say it's rare, but uh, it just seems to me that it's, it isn't rare. It's not rare enough, that's for sure. Mm, I know. And um, <laughs> I suppose the, 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 the issue really is for a lot of women that they they just don't feel safe. No, uh, no. walking alone, being no. outside after dark. No. They don't feel safe in 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 a public space. No, no. Will you stay no. with me, Pamela? I want to bring in Tom. Tom. Tom O'Connor. Good afternoon, Tom. Hi there, Katie. Uh, Tom, you're a student in NUIG. I am. Yeah. Um. Do you do you understand this this thing, this sense uh, that I just mentioned there, this idea that, you, you know, women feeling unsafe being out of doors on their own or after dark? Yeah, no, certainly not by myself and my own personal capacity, of course, but I have so many friends who are girls um, and it's just highlighted how difficult it is for them. Um, many of them would go on a night out and if they're going home, they have to share their WhatsApp location with me or another friend or a number of friends. Um, call a friend when they're walking home. Some don't even go home. They stay on couches just so they don't run the risk. And that was all, that's was that been the case with nighttime, nightlife for a long time. But the fact that this 
night now, that attitude and that vigilance might have to be needed um, during the daytime is just so scary um, for them in particular. Yeah, because uh, again, um, it's the fact that this happened at four o'clock and we know it was it was still bright at four o'clock yesterday. Um, mm. uh, that has really sent uh, shockwaves uh, around the country. And as you say, but even at that, it's extraordinary, isn't it, Tom, how normalised we made that. Like, I don't know that many mm. men who feel that they would have to share WhatsApp locations or take, you know, as many other friends I would know would take photographs of, of you know, the taxi plates that if, as, as they get into a taxi or, as you say, you know, te- text the minute they get home or have somebody text them or, or, or pretend to be on the phone when they're out of doors. Exactly. But, but, and that's, but, the, yeah, it's, um, and I saw that on Twitter, you know, that, that it's been packed this morning um, with harrowing testimonies from women um, and girls even uh, below 18 uh, from across the country um, with stories about what they've gone through and men don't understand the privilege that we have that we can go walking the vast majority of the time without having to worry about somebody coming up to us. I'm six foot one um, and that gives me a certain confidence but a lot of the girls I know would be um, quite small because that's just a genetic thing. It, it comes down um, and somebody was even saying on Twitter there I saw today that no matter how much self-defence training a girl could do they couldn't stop a six foot three guy you know who was who's on the local GAA team or the rugby team coming up to them and doing something like that. Um, so it's really disgraceful that it that it is still happening in 2022 when we think about um, the equality we're striving for nowadays that, that, that this terrible divide is still there. Yeah, yeah. And we have more calls. I want to go to uh, Ruth Walsh now. Ruth, good afternoon, Ruth. Good afternoon, Katie. Um, this is such a shocking story. I think everyone is trying to uh, come to terms with it. Well, I mean, I, I you know, first of all, I want to um, express my extreme sympathy to um, to that family. I have to say, I never heard so many shocked people as there were in the, the town of Tullamore today, um, men and women. But to go back to the issue about women and uh, fear and where they are and what's up, there's, there is a deep-seated problem amongst uh, in society about women's behaviour and this is um, a friend of mine, a male friend this morning we were talking about, he said that he saw a girl jogging in Ainsley Bridge in the last few days, a van passed by with a group of yobs in it and they shouted out the window at her and she was doing absolutely no harm to anybody but something about her independence, her sense of herself threatened these yobs in a van um, you know, so there's something um, amongst a certain um, part of society that the more independent you are, the more you're your own woman, that this is a threat to to men. I had a small incident during COVID, tiny incident. I was in Marks and Spencer's. It was before masks were mandatory. This guy stuck his black um, mask into my face. I was a bit startled because I didn't see him coming. And I then walked around the shop, did my my, um, shopping. And as I was paying, I said something to the shop and he had appeared at my side and made another smart remark. Well, at that stage, I had rallied and I just used the same expletive six times in the same tone for him to go away. 
in Marks and Spencer's, he got off from the fact that I thought, that I looked a bit startled. But what he didn't know was that I had well rallied by the time I got to the checkout. So what is it about? What is it about, yeah. Exactly. Now, I'm asking men to turn up tomorrow at this vigil. I'm hoping to go to it at four o'clock outside the door. I don't want to see a, a sea of women upset and emotion. I want men there side by side who are saying enough is enough. We do not want to be associated with these kind of men. And the article in the Irish Examiner today, William Philip O'Connor said, every time you hear a woman called a slag and a bitch and whatever else in a pub, why don't you as a man challenge it instead of us categorising women into virgins, martyrs, saints, wonderful mothers? We are all just human beings and we're entitled to our respect and our dignity. And that's really the point I want to make. And do you think that do you think that's the pro- the problem in that men are, are reluctant maybe to be the guy who says you know, don't talk about women like that or don't, you know, that that could be your your sister or your ch- your daughter or your girlfriend or your wife. Yes, I do. I have seen it. I've seen women categorised. You you, you you, and I would know about the case in Lestol about the woman who well, let's, yeah, let's, was raped and, you know, the way she was treated um, simply on the grounds that of, of um, something that had been said about her. Now, I'm not going into it. I'm just saying we do tend, and women can collude with us, to place women in terms they're marvellous she's a wonderful mother or that one's a right slag that women can also collude with that categorisation of women yeah, and There is no male equivalent of slag really is there that's, that's used in a derogatory way I can't think of it. I've, the term C beginning and ending with T is used um, about both men and women, but it's basically, uh, uh, it's a woman thing, uh, you know, and it's an ugly, ugly word, um, you know. So uh, the, I have experienced it myself, not not in terms of personal safety, but being opinionated, highly opinionated, <laughs> Um, over the years that has that It's, not, it's me. not appreciated, Bruce. Is that what you're telling no, me? No, I don't think it is, Katie. It's not appreciated that you're well able to fire back and it is not appreciated. Uh, now, that is minor of a single marriage and this is a tragic event, but there is a deep, deep misogyny towards, towards women's independence, towards their sense of themselves, to their, to their sense of you know, I'm entitled to my viewpoint and I'm not going to internalise going around being afraid. I'm just not going to do it and and being worrying about what did I do wrong. I've listened to that nonsense now for most of my life and it's not about, about women, it's about attitudes to women. Do you think, Ruth, though, that men might be a little reluctant maybe to come to that vigil tomorrow, maybe they might feel they mightn't be welcome and that it might, you know, this is something, it's a women's issue. To be fair to men now, to... to, to well, I, I, I would, 
that, that thought never struck me. I would see it as a form of solidarity. You've had your, Tom O'Connor on there now, and you know he, him and his friends or whoever else. Well, he, maybe he doesn't go away, but you know, no, I've been to issues for the pro. You know, the, repeal the eighth and all that. Men have been there, so this this is us asking. I'm asking them really to stand in solidarity with women. Um, because really, say, this yeah. is going nowhere if we're just talking to each other. I'm afraid so, yes. Uh, and we end up talking about our feelings, which is all very fine to feel scared and confused and frightened. But in the end of the day, you bring about change by standing in, in solidarity with one another. None of those things would have been passed in the state if we didn't actually stand in solidarity. Divorce, all the rest of it. You know, um, it was people's action. Uh, women have been paralysed into inaction a lot by feelings. You know, it, that, you know, that's the way you feel, so you better, better go home and just just mind yourself. And that is, gets women really absolutely nowhere. You know, you okay. to bring about change, you have to do the Rosa Parks, you know, and refuse to give up your seat, you know, and say, no, I'm entitled to sit down. I'm entitled to be here. I'm entitled to be out at four in the morning. I'm entitled to be wherever I want to be. And I am not under any sanction from anybody. Okay, um, Ruth, easier said than done, I'm sure you'll agree. But stay with us there, will you? I have a lot of calls coming in. Sure. I Thanks, want... Casey. Thanks, Ruth. Um, uh, Neve, Neve Cummins, Dr. Neve Cummins. Good afternoon. Hi, Casey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You were very um, struck by this because, as you said yourself, you, you've had a number of what you'd regard as lucky escapes in your own life. I have. I've had, I suppose, I suppose across my life, I've had every experience, you know, from everyday discrimination, sexism, bullying, um, stalking at one stage. And then I suppose the two two experiences you mentioned, which were particularly frightening. And I suppose I just want to start by sympathising with, with Ashton's family and how absolutely devastated they must be today. Um, there's, there's nothing anyone can say that can console them, but, you know, if they just know we're all thinking of them and we're all absolutely heartbroken for them. Absolutely, um, absolutely. That, um, you know, this... This is our fair Everett moment. Um, we're a year, almost a year on from that and what has changed? Really, nothing has changed. Um, I happened to be on a different canal at four o'clock yesterday evening going for a run myself and stayed out a little bit too late and was getting nervous as, as I returned. Uh, funnily enough, um, Niamh, so was I. <laughs> I, was, I was running along the Dodder at exactly that time yesterday evening and exactly the same thought had occurred to me because it, it, the darkness came down faster than, than, than I had expected. Um, mm. So, yeah, but anyway, sorry, you... you you t- take me back. You said yourself there was a number, and of course you have a professional uh, interest and, and knowledge of this as well. But just in terms of your own personal experience, um, t- take yeah, me back to that so, time in the woods in Waterford. Yeah, so this was when I was back in college, and I was at home and went for a run in my local woods, and uh, I was running along and near enough to the end of my run, so you know starting to get a bit tired, and um, heard somebody behind me and kind of just looked back and. And then almost instantly took a second look because I, I realised that it wasn't just your, your standard runner, that he, was, he wasn't wearing running gear. Um, and I realised that he wasn't running, he was chasing me. Um, I can still picture what he was wearing. He was wearing a suede jacket and boots and jeans and he was chasing me. And oh. I, you know, obviously panicked and, and 
started going faster and, and I've competed for Ireland in my day. But, you know, I'm no match for, you know, a, a young fit man either at the same time. And he was gaining on me and I was just very lucky in that there was a, a turn just up ahead and it was a crossroads. And I just thought to myself, OK, um, so I just you know, ran as hard as I could for that corner and then just veered off and went straight into the bushes. I thought it was the last thing he'd expect and he would know where to find me. So veered off and crouched down in in the ferns and, you know, terrified, trying to control my breathing, trying to stay as quiet as I could. And he came around that corner and realised what I did and I'll never forget the smile on his face. You know, he just almost relished the fact that I'd, you know, challenged him or, you know, that... He knew what I'd done, you know, but didn't know where to find me and, you know, started searching for me and um, walked up one path, walked down another path and, you know, kind of looked around behind a few trees. You must have been absolutely terrified. Petrified, absolutely petrified, you know, frozen solid, just, you know, um, I could probably still smell the ferns, you know, um, just when I think about it and... You know, just thinking, it, it felt like hours. I mean, it was probably only minutes. It felt like hours. But um, eventually he walked away and I just, I still stayed there, you know, for, again, what felt like hours. But I was just terrified. I was, I thought that, you know, maybe he'd just, you know, gone around the corner and was still going to jump on me if I if I came out. But um, but thankfully um, he wasn't there when I when I eventually ran home. Um, so, yeah, so that was pretty terrifying. Um, what age were you the, at that stage, Neve? I'd say I was about 20. Um, Cause, yeah, because that's an experience um, that would stay with you forever, basically. Yeah, yeah, but probably the second one was probably more terrifying and has probably stayed with me more, actually. Um, okay. So it was second um, one. Tell us what happened. Yeah. Where were you? Um, I was in the states actually on a on a J one visa in Cape Cod and um, on a night out with uh, all my housemates and thirteen of us, thirteen girls in the house, and. Um, you know, wearing a short dress, drinking, all of the things that I would have been victim blamed for if it had had a different ending. Um, I bumped into a friend from college and got separated from my housemate. And then at the end of the night, um, there was just the two of us left and she um, lived in a different direction and there was one space left in the taxi and I said to her, take it, I'll run home. You know, I'll be home in 15 minutes. So I started jogging home and um, just as I, I wasn't too far from home and then I heard a car coming and... And then I heard it getting closer and it slowed down and then I heard the noise and my heart just sank and um, it was a pickup truck of young drunk guys and um, I just knew straight away, like my blood just ran cold and um, they, you know, they stopped just up the road and the instinct just kicked in and I just took off running again and I thought, here I am again running, you know, and lost the shoe and um, was across the road. Um, I ran for, there was a fire station just back a little bit and across the road and I thought to myself, you know, firemen, firemen, they're going to save me, you know, and um, ran in the gates and pickup truck was doing a U-turn up the road and ran in the gates and realised there was no lights on and was hoping against hope that there was somebody inside and just asleep was banging at the door frantically and no answer and just had to make for the trees again and because it was surrounded by sort of bushes and trees and just dived for the trees as oh. pickup truck. Yeah, I was gonna say where were they at this stage then? Just pulling in. Um so so I dived for the for the trees and um and hid myself in the bushes and uh, they pulled in um Five guys, very drunk, you know, smashing bottles, drinking whiskey, um, throwing beer cans around, um, calling me a pretty young thing, come out and play, all of the fun we'd have together. Um, 
and um, I was just petrified. And um, after God, it's I like a horror years, movie the way you describe it there, Neve. It's like a horror movie. That's every woman's nightmare. It was, yeah, just surreal. Um, and then, you know, gradually they started getting angrier as I didn't appear and the discourse changed quite rapidly from, you know, um, being a pretty young thing to being, you know, um, just calling me every abusive word under the sun. Um, you know, now they wanted to punish me, um, that they were going to, you know, um, describing in, you know, very graphic detail what they would do to me uh, to punish me for not showing up and um, and then they started searching. And I thought that was it. I really did. Um, I was thinking of my family back home, thinking of, you know, how foolish I was, how did I let myself get in this position, um, victim blaming myself, of course, um, and just thinking, and then just then as they got closer, just praying it would be over quickly and that it wouldn't be too painful, just, you know, because I really thought that was it. Um, <sighs> but I suppose my only saving grace was that they were that drunk and that they really didn't look properly. If they'd done any kind of systematic search at all, they would have found me. I wasn't that well hidden. Um, I wasn't that. I was probably a few feet away from where they where they were, you know, where they stood. Um, but they thankfully got bored and uh, started talking about a strip club. And then one of them said they needed more than a strip club and that they uh, won't use the words they used, but that they wanted to go to a brothel. So uh, they piled into the pickup truck and drove away. And I lay there shoeless, um, covered in dirt, just crying and thinking, thanking my lucky stars for the lucky escape I had. And... Um, yeah, just aware that I was so lucky and, and I know I'm very, very aware that, you know, um, probably should have been a trigger warning on this, but, you know, there's other women listening who aren't so lucky and, and I'm telling that story from a place of privilege. So, um, you know, to anyone else who's out there listening and who's been through anything like that, I, my heart just goes out to you. Oh, uh, Neve, that's two absolutely terrifying and both of them from your, your early 20s then. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it stayed with me, obviously. You know, um, you know, quite nervous if I'm if I'm out on my own. Um, you know, um, like I said just yesterday, was you know quite nervous. A couple of nights ago, I was walking down in my local village, and you know, um, walked past three guys, and you know, so a comment was made, and I just kept walking because, you know, it was getting dark, and I'm not going to challenge three guys on my own. But you know, it just happens to us all the time. You know, it's it's every woman's experience. It's um, and I think maybe that's what a lot of men don't realise like the actual prevalence of it. Um, I, I do wonder, should we just sit sit the men in our lives down and actually talk them through some of the things that are said to all of yeah, us all the time? Yeah, actually the very first time I, so I kind of started speaking on this and kind of doing kind of some advocacy work was because I was in a situation where I, I we interviewed um, uh, a doctor and um he spoke about his experiences as a, as a migrant, um, an international doctor in Ireland and discrimination he experienced. And then he asked me about, you know, my life and what, what I'd, you know, what my challenges were. And, and I just said, I, I spoke about not feeling safe as a woman. And he, he said, you know, he asked me to describe why that was. And he, he was really shocked by it. And I, and I, and I you know, he was, you know, he's a married man and uh, had teenage daughters. And I said, have you, have you never had this conversation with your wife? You know, around, you know, and he was just really, really shocked. And he said, no, I really didn't realise that that's your reality. You know, that you have to think about, you know, what I'm wearing, where I'm going. I won't park in that parking space. It's not under a light, you know, um, but, but this is just we're conditioned to do that as, as teenagers or younger girls even. And, um, it is, you know, it's, and, just and not, it's, it's just so, as I was saying this, it's just so exhausting, is it not? Just so exhausting to have this whole other layer that you have to take into account 
just to go about your, your, your business, basically. It is exhausting. And, you know, it's it's not anything we asked for, you know, um, like the other more we only just before Christmas there, there was a really powerful video um, from a UK um, NGO, I think it was, and around, um, it was, the hashtag was, is this okay? And it was about a woman's experience throughout the day where she started off going for a run in the morning and, you know, was kind of, Pictures were taken, a video was taken of her then, um, you know, she was kind of, uh, I think she was abused in the workplace and then that night, kind of on a night out and it was just like that was her day and her reality and, and I watched that video just before I went out for my run and it was, you know, I was waiting for it to get light so that I wouldn't be out my own dark and, and then as I ran out my gate that morning, you know, some random guy in a van just beat at me and I was like, you know, yeah. um, it's just, and I suppose really I, I would think that you know, we just have to open up those conversations and particularly for young men and, and just ask them to call each other out on it and just be allies to women, you know. Yeah, that was, Ruth, really that, that was Ruth's point, that men have to start calling each other out on this stuff. It can't, they can't just, you know, you, if you're silent, you are part of the problem. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose just to mention as well, um, from a professional perspective, um, I'm a lecturer in public health and it is absolutely a public health issue. Um, it's a women's rights issue. It's a human rights issue. Um, I think the statistics are one in three um, women internationally that experience physical or sexual violence. And, you know, and the WHO, the United Nations, very much considers um, to be, you know, a top priority of the framework and the RESPECT framework published in 2019, um, which um, promotes and supports women. And um, it's just something we really need to work on, I think, you know, and, you know, that we won't be here again in a year's time and that, again, nothing will yeah, have changed. That's, um, the, that's the danger, yeah. isn't it? And that's the, that's the, that's the problem. That's, we, we, we have been talking about this for a very long time and it seems to be very, very slow to change. And Neve, I'm going to have to take a break, uh, but we'll be st- still talking about this after these. Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with the all-new Kia Sportage, built for endless inspiration. For more, log on to kia.com. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And I want to go now to Fiona. Fiona, good afternoon. Hi, Katie. How are you? Um, Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Um, I'm a teacher I don't usually get to hear I'm on leave this week so daytime te- um, radio isn't something that we usually have the luxury of but I suppose before I tell you my little story um, I can just well, I just want to extend my sympathies to Ashley's parents and her family her colleagues and her little first class in Duro I can tell you the teaching community are just rocked and devastated by what has happened to her um, I heard her principal being interviewed, Brian Dobson, and I could hear the emotion oh, in Brian Dobson's voice. Heartbreaking, wasn't it? Just heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Just, uh, you, you want to be made of stone now, not to shed a tear listening to it. But anyway, um, yeah, just to extend um, the INTO, and we're, we're all just absolutely devastated to hear yeah. to hear about poor Ashley. Yeah, such a gorgeous girl. Um, mm-hmm. You have your own story, Fiona, I do you? I do. I do. Um, like that, as I said, I'm a teacher and back in my 20s, um, I moved out of home in Mullingar and my dog, of course, got the luxury of staying with my parents and I used to go up and collect him like that, leave school, four o'clock, collect the dog, head out to the canal, beautiful stretch of tarmac greenway out in Mullingar, the Royal Canal, and walk back in towards town and one evening parked the little car uh, at a bridge and took off my walk all went well walked a certain amount and knew how much time it took me to come back and on the way back um, three young boys and I say young they were young as it transpired but 
like adolescents coming towards me, three of them, and uh, stopped me. Very normal-looking guys. Um, do you have the time? And I didn't have the time. You know, I wouldn't have stopped and talked. But like that, and this is something that haunts me about poor Ashley as well, you know, you, you trust people. And um, they were asking the time, and did I know who they were? And in hindsight, like, why were they asking me that? But anyway... I kept going and they kept going their way. A few minutes later, I turned around and realised three of them had changed direction. They were actually coming after me. And I was, they were walking, but I was still a couple away from the car. So I picked up the pace. They passed me as I was getting into the car. And I just, I had this compulsion. I just kind of, I pressed the centre lock and, um, and the guy with the glasses came down to the car window and knocked on the car window. And like that again, you beat yourself up afterwards going, why did I let down the window? But, I suppose, you know, they, they were young boys, they were adolescents. I thought there was something wrong, were they stuck, whatever. So I left the window down about halfway. And as I said, a dog in the car and everything, you know, and you feel a little bit safer with a dog, I suppose, what I always did. And he started just, I don't know what he was asking. I can't even remember the exact words. But then grabbing at my chest through the car window, trying to pull my jumper, trying the door handle. Um, just really, really scary experience. Anyway... I got the window up, the three of them ran off, went home, told Daddy, and of course, Daddy, Daddy gets straight into the garden. Now, to be honest, Katie, I probably wasn't going to go in because you kind of think I might be the drama queen, am I overreacting? You know, we, we go through that and we kind of say, well, I let the window down and I shouldn't have been out on my own. And oh, this is not, you the, know? The, yeah, that's the, the, the monologue yeah. in our own heads. Yeah, and you try to talk yourself out of doing it because you feel. Anyway, I did go to the garden. You the must have been very shook though, were you? Well, I, well I, it was only when I got home and Daddy said, God, do you realise how serious that is? Like, you know, it kind of put it to me like, you know, when you were in the car, you were lucky, the next person mightn't be. And anyway, I made a statement and guards, based on the description and the fact that this ringleader was wearing braces, um, they got him and he was 15 years of age. Sorry, the line just breaking up a tiny bit, Fiona. Do you say he was 16 years of age? Fif- 15 years 15, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, something that's haunting me about poor Ashley is, you know, she was out. Did that person stop her and try to ask her for something? Mm. Was she just being nice? You know, uh, her poor family didn't be just so devastated. It's yeah. Horrible. Okay. I know. And I suppose we just we just have to be very very careful yeah, about absolutely. not saying anything yeah. or, or or speculating yeah. in any way about what might have happened uh, on that uh, for 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 Ashling yesterday. But that is a very scary situation. Was that yeah. long? Was that a long time ago, Fiona? Uh, well, I mean, when I was in twenties. Now, like that, I'm off on leave this week, and I was going to go for a walk there today. And, you know, I'm still in the, in the leggings here and I'm kind of not really confident about going out, um, which is silly, but this is somebody said to me, uh, this happened last night when it broke, and she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. She wasn't in the wrong place. She was in the right place. She was where she would have been. It was someone else that was in the wrong place. And I just feel like, you know, women have to... I, I got back out and I walked the canal since and, I, and you know, it wasn't easy, but we have to support and, and get out and live our lives and, and not be afraid. And it's not easy, but you can't let people take joy from your life and take your freedom for you. What kind of a world would we live be living in if, if you know, if we let other people take take our, our joys and our freedoms away from us? That's it, yeah. But as, as you know, as you know only too well, uh, Fiona, there are 
you know, most of us have curtailed our lives to some, our, our movements uh, at least to some degree yeah. because we are not, uh, we don't feel safe in yeah. certain, certain and scenarios. And it's little things. You know, our postman out here, he popped to the back door, he opens the utility room door, throws the, the deliveries in and, and goes off, a lovely fella. And like, you'd be tempted to lock your door today, you know, just turning the key in it this morning. And I never do. And I just, I second guess myself and... It's just, it's going to be a legacy now for a while. There's going to be an awful lot of nerves, an awful lot of second guessing and questioning. And it's just, it's very hard to comprehend. So senseless and so tragic. Senseless and tragic, that is for sure. Fiona, thank you so much for for calling in and telling us that story. Uh, I think every voice is important in in this debate and we have to keep talking. I really, really do think we have reached the time we can't stop talking and turn away from this this time. Aoife, Aoife, Aoife Moore. Aoife, good afternoon, Aoife. Good afternoon, Katie. Uh, Aoife, I more usually would have you in the studio talking about <laughs> politics. Uh, you, you, uh, would you have something to say about this? Yeah, um, I am totally and utterly fed up with this. We had this after Sarah Everard. We had this after Nadine Lott. What we have on your show in the last half an hour, our woman ringing in telling us these incredibly traumatising experiences and then calling themselves lucky because something worse doesn't happen to them. And also this notion that we need to sit men down and explain to the men in our lives what we go through. They know. Grown men know what grown women, and not even grown women, teenage women, young girls go through every day just to make themselves safer. We are somehow considered lucky if we only get mugged and nothing worse happens to us. And I just, I am so fed up with this notion that women need to educate men. Why is it always left to the woman and the woman's responsibility to educate men? Men know about men's violence. And I just think we go through this every time something horrific happens, whether it's Anna Creedgel or whoever it is, and we all wring our hands and we'll have a vigil and if someone said, who's it going to be next year? Because this is going to happen again next year. I feel totally exasperated. We have the Minister for Justice is a young woman. We are, women are hitting the highest heights of government. And Helen McEntee said today there are occasions when she doesn't feel safe. So if the Minister for Justice is out for a walk and it's dark and she doesn't feel safe, what chance do the rest of us have? Um, you, I mean, you're of an age where people, your friends, unlike my friends, are going out for the night still uh, or would have done before the pandemic, I suppose. Although I uh, I did see online today people referring to, to this as our permanent pandemic. This is something that women mm-hmm. have been dealing with, you know, as you say, from when from when we're, we're 12 years old. Uh, have you had any experiences personally, Aoife? Well, yeah, because I'm a woman who is out and about in society, so like every other woman, of course, I have experiences. I mean, I went on Radio Ulster and talked about being mugged after Sarah Everard dies, and this is what I'm talking about, is that women go on the radio and go on the TV, and we are forced to split ourselves open and recall these incredibly traumatising experiences so that people know that this violence is prevalent, because it is prevalent, but we know that anyway. So I was walking home, I worked in a pub when I was at university and I was scamped. I didn't have money for a taxi and it was one o'clock in the morning and I walked home and I got mugged uh, on the walk home and he stole whatever money I had in my purse and I felt lucky that nothing else happened to me. He just stole my money and roughed me off of it and I was able to run home back to my flatmate. 
but it is so tragic that I consider myself lucky that nothing worse happened. And, like, we know, like, one in every two women that are killed uh, in Ireland are more usually killed by a current or former partner. And women under the age of 35 make up 50% of that. So I am of the age group where 50% of my age group that are killed are killed by an intimate partner. I just, I don't have anything productive to say. I am only 30 years old and I am so fed up and tired of having this conversation. Talk to me about the things that you and your friends do to feel safe and to ensure Um, each other are safe. Yeah, so the things that people have already talked about on the show, so for instance, I went out for a couple of drinks last night with a friend I haven't seen in years, and she said, you know, the most casual thing in the world, text me when you get in. When I text her, she said, that's me home safe. You take photos uh, of the taxi plate. You put keys between your fingers when you're walking home. You'll put your headphones on, but you don't put any music on. If there's a man walking behind you on a dark street, you cross the street the other side of the street because you don't want them walking behind you. I tuck my hair into my coat. I put my hood up. I feel like having blonde hair is enough. <laughs> I just be totally unsafe walking at night. And it's not even at night. I cycle in Dublin. I've been stopped at a traffic light and I fell, put his hand out and just touched the side of my face at a red light out of a van. There is nowhere that we are safe, whether it's in a nightclub or in a taxi or out for a cycle, or like harassing us out for a run. There is nowhere we are safe. Just stop, Aoife, you're saying you were stopped at traffic lights in the middle of the day? Yeah, in the middle of the day on the coast road in Dublin, and I was on my bike, and I was stopped at a traffic light, and I fell in the passenger side of a van, put his hand out, and just touched my hair and the side of my face. And said anything, or...? Just laughing. Just laughing, just touching me because he could touch me. This is this is in lockdown. This is recently, and it's not even something that I even thought to talk about because it doesn't even register because it's just another thing that woman has to put up with. And I just thought about it as another thing that I have to put up with. What about that point that uh, Ruth made it earlier and Eve made it as well about men calling out men? Uh, you know that that. This has to come from men. It can't, it can't keep being women telling men, you know, you can't do this. Because they're not listening. <laughs> women are constantly telling men that we don't see faith. We live in fear and they're not, nothing is changing. And it's a sliding scale, you know, like I've been in, in a nightclub and a fella put his arm around me. And when I moved out of the way and I was standing with my boyfriend, the fella apologised to my boyfriend but didn't apologise to me, even though he touched me, I didn't want anything to do him. But he said, oh, well, I realised then that I had a boyfriend and then apologised to him. Women aren't even seen as, like, sentient beings that deserve any respect. And I think men are going to have to sit their friends down and talk to other men. And it is a sliding scale, but it starts with really derogatory language about women talking about women's sex lives and sexual activities. That's one end of the scale. And the other end of the scale is very serious violence against women. And it is not up to women to deal with this because it is a man's problem. Is there something about when you go inside the door of a nightclub, Aoife, that there is a a vibe of anything goes and you can touch people anywhere you think you want to? I don't don't go to all the nightclubs. Yeah, I do think that fellas think that they can get away with much more in a nightclub. I would say any 
scared. He has been in a nightclub in the last five years that had has been groped in some way or the other. Um, I would say, you know, me and my mommy have even talked about the experiences that we both had in nightclubs what, 25, 30 years apart. My granny has told me had told me stories about her being um, propositioned or by strange men in the street. This is time and memoriam that we have been harassed by men. So it doesn't matter if it's in a nightclub because it can be anywhere. You could be running home, you could be cycling, you can be doing whatever you want. Just existing is almost an invitation for men's unwanted advances. And I am not lecturing men anymore because they are grown men and they need to speak to each other. I do think, though, that some men are genuinely shocked when they are confronted with these stories. I think some men genuinely who do not engage in this, uh, Mm -hmm. whose friends don't engage in it uh, and who don't have women, you know, girlfriends or sisters or whatever to tell them about this, honestly are completely oblivious that this is uh, a very, very common challenge that uh, most of us uh, have to put up. Will you stay there, Aoife? I've got a, I've got a man. I have a man on another line. Uh, and I want to... Uh, John, good afternoon, John. Oh, hi, Katie. How are you? Uh, uh, is this a shock to you or are you, are you... Does this surprise you, what you're hearing from all our callers today? No, indeed not. Uh, and in particular, some of Aoife's experiences there resonate with me um, from hearing from my own daughter um, who used to love going running. And, and ran every day uh, and, and gave up completely because of guys slowing down in cars and shouting abuse and groups of lads on bikes, you know, cycling alongside to try and intimidate her. Um, and and having to put in her headphones with no music on, um, that's something she told me that she frequently feels she has to do uh, to stop yeah, guys this har- is so that, her. Yeah, so this is so you can pretend you're listening to music, but also you can be completely aware of your surroundings. Uh, I think exactly, a lot of women yeah. will, will, will uh, that will resonate with an awful lot of women. Yes, uh, yeah. And, and what, what I think is happening. And, and I know you spoke to somebody earlier who felt, you know, that she's been afraid of women, uh, of men all her life. I think it is changing. Um, and I think young men now have a different attitude to young women and women in general. And it's it's become much more unhealthy. And, well, you and think it's getting a, worse, John? Oh, I do, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's largely because of material that, that people are exposed to online uh, during their formative years in their teens. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of giving young men what they mightn't even realise themselves, but they, they, they have a kind of a sense of ownership of young women. They, like the, the story Aoife related there about what happened in the nightclub, the guy apologising to uh, her, her boyfriend, boyfriend yeah. and not, not to, to her. It, it, it's as if young men... Uh, consider, or not, not all young men, but many young young men consider young men, women to be almost objects um, and not not equals. Are you are you uh, when you say about online? Are you talking about uh, young young men looking at porn online yeah, from a young age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 it, it you hear it in in the way young men talk about women and talk to women as well. Um, I think the the tone has changed for the worse. Um, there there isn't uh, that respect there. I mean, there was you know there was always misogyny. Of course, there was, and there was always kind of um, 
Yeah. You know, there were always men who, who treated women badly. But I do think it's got a lot worse in the last 15 years or so. But yet, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about consent at all. Uh, you know, it was it was a very, uh, an unspoken about concept. True, uh, true. So that, that surely that must have helped. Let, let me ask, Aoife, where, 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 where would you stand on this? Do you think it's gotten worse or... The same I or... I, there was no conversation. I'm only 30 and there was no conversation at my school about consent. Um, I left school, what, 12 years ago? And I never learned anything about consent. So I think the more people are empowered to talk about it, it can only be a good thing. Um, but I don't feel like society has moved on Do you think it's all. getting worse? Do you think John might have beyond to something? I, I'm not old enough to know. But um, I, I would say, and I've just said it before, but myself and my mommy and my granny have all had very similar experiences with men, so I can't see anything changing. I don't know whether it's getting better or worse, but nothing, nothing's changing. Women are still being attacked. Women are still being disrespected. We are still being killed for just existing in public. So I can't see any real changes, and I don't feel like I have seen any real changes since I was a teenager. God. Pressing thought that your your granny, your mammy, and yourself, and you you can all uh, share uh, uh, experiences like that. Will you stay with us, Eva and John? Stay with yeah. us. I want to take a quick break, but I want to uh, stay on this after these. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And I just want to go back to you, John, again, uh, and the point you came in on, which is your daughter's experience of running. Do you say she doesn't run at all anymore now? That's right. Yeah, she gave up completely. Um, and this used to happen whether it was broad daylight or night time or any time, uh, whether it was a you know a relatively crowded place like the, the seafront there um, along between let's say Sutton and uh, Kilbarrick, or or in the evenings when it was darker. Uh, these guys just don't seem to care. And this was not, uh, as you describe it, an isolated occurrence. This happened numerous times. Oh, oh very regularly. Yep. I just it's just astonishing that 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 men driving along in a van or in a car should feel that it's perfectly okay to to start shouting you know either abuse or compliments even out the window of a car at at a, a woman on their own or even a woman yeah. in a group of women it's well uh, well under under those circumstances compliments come across as abuse and they are abuse. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the idea of yeah. a compliment is is just just for any man out there that might not have any any notion that 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 is welcome in any shape or form. That is not welcome. Uh, yes, but 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 I would say that virtually every young woman who runs has had that experience, and some would would have had it quite regularly. It's and and there is something about women running, I think, as well, that seem to be particularly targeted by men in this way. Yes. I wonder what that is. Ruth felt it was uh, Ruth felt it was a woman, you know, kind of taking, uh, you know, showing their, their independence and being out there on their own. And uh, but I suppose there is that, that you're vulnerable as well, because you often you, you run on your own in many cases. And, you know, I suppose men take advantage of that vulnerability as well, if you're that kind of man. Yeah. Uh, I want to go. Thanks for that, John. And uh, uh, I wish you the best. And I'd love to, if your daughter was felt good enough to be able to get out and run and not have to deal with that. 
Thanks, Katie. Appalling carry on is all I can call it. Uh, Rachel, good afternoon, Rachel. Hi, Katie. You usually run in the dark? I do. Yeah, I run every day. I think coming up from what John said there, I run every day, but I work two jobs. So I'm either running first thing in the morning in the dark or relatively late at night after 8pm in the dark. Now where I live, I live in Dublin, so it's busy and it's on a busy road. But it's always it's always something that's in the back of your mind. And from what John was saying there in terms of his daughter stopping running because people are shouting at her, specifically men are shouting at her, that that's an experience that I have regularly. But it's equally something that I've always been conscious of, that whenever I'm out at night, I'm often one of the, the only women I see out running um, and everyone else is a man. And that's not saying necessarily that I feel threatened by those people, but it does speak to how people feel space is available to them after a certain period. And I was thinking about this yesterday when I was when I heard the news and funny enough I went for a run immediately after hearing this news, which was I suppose maybe a bit um discordant. But like I wear a high vis, I wear a torch on my head and in theory those are because of traffic. But for a very long time, all that the reason I've worn those is because I always think, well, at least if I got attacked, then somebody might see me from the road. Or like, I'll catch a car's light and somebody will see me that way. And in the same way, I wear a Fitbit when I run and I have a separate app on my phone that tracks my runs and is GPS. And like, my mother and I have had conversations about, well, if something happens to you, there'll be a GPS record of where you were if you don't come home. Or the, the guardian will be able to look at that. And like, that's not necessarily about the fact that I change my behaviours to, to, for when I run, but it does speak to a way that how I approach running and how I approach going for a walk at night or any of these things that I just don't think men do. And in the same way, like I'd walk home from work regularly or I'd walk home from town regularly. And again, these are things that are always in the back of your mind. You know, I have, I actually, funny enough, had a friend last year in the summer who was walking home um, and was walking approximately 100 metres home and was attacked on the way home. And sure, that was she was just beside her own house and it happened. And so I think that this is something about, I think what's frustrating is that, you know, we'll have these call-in shows where people will call in and talk about their experiences. People will, there'll be vigils tomorrow night and, you know, there'll be people across Tullamore and across the country who are, you know, talking about their experiences and devastated over this. But the same thing happened last year with Sarah Everard. The same thing happened a number of years ago with Joe Marr. We have these conversations time and time again. And despite what we say, women will, I'm sure the the price of, there'll be great sales and torches and hives for the next while, even though it shouldn't be on women or girls to adjust their behaviour, but subconsciously people will. Again, the numbers that maybe have started going out running or walking, I know Operation Transformation or whatever is on now, um, at night, they'll probably drop off again for the next while. And again, sorry, this isn't the day, so it doesn't even matter. But the fact of the matter is that really this won't change. There'll be people like John's daughter who will stop running again. There'll be people who will be tacked again. I'm very conscious that this happened. This incident happened on Fiona Way um, in Tullamore, which I think is terribly poignant in the yeah. context of all of this. Yeah, a way that, that, that's named oh, for another missing missing. And woman. it's just... It just seems to be, I think that's what's frustrating is that we can talk about what we do or we can talk about how we protect ourselves 
or we can talk about how the, you know collective behaviour of men should change or collective responsibility should be taken in order for people to feel safe using their city, their country, their local amenities. The, you know, we talk about how beautiful Ireland is. We have these the Great Western Greenway. We have these greenways for people to use. But sure, if you don't feel safe using them or you're constantly on edge using them, then what's the point? And tell me, Rachel, when you are out running now, because you, you obviously are a very regular runner, and you say you, you, you have also had this, this uh, experience of strangers shouting at you, making comments... Oh, God, yeah. Now, I run with earphones in, which... I'm, I'm not, she's very crazy. I'm sure there are people who are listening to this who are saying, I do terribly dangerous things running at night and running with earphones in. But the fact of the matter is that if I want to run, that's when I have to do it. And I think I should be allowed to do that. But yeah, no, I've been out at night and I've had people call, make comments. Sir, I'm sorry, I've been out in the day and I've had people make comments to me. I've had lads shout out windows of vans. I've had people in cars or men in cars shout out things, swerve their cars towards you in order to give you a fright. That, that's happened a good few times. Um, and these things happen regularly. And, it, and, and I would also say that, like, you know, that happens in the day. It happens if you're in the gym. I've had experiences over the summer where, you know, somebody was coming up to me in the gym and making similar and um, making very odd comments that l- led me to have to make complaints in the gym because of what was said. So it's not, this is not about necessarily about, you know, somebody being out in the day or being at night or being, it happening to someone. Or, you know, you run along and somebody kind of comes up too close to you and you end up spending half the rest of the run looking behind your shoulder to make sure they're not there. Or when you're doubling back on yourself or finishing your loop, you change your loop slightly just to make sure that they're not still there. And I think to be blunt, I think there will be so many women and girls who are listening to this that are saying, "Well, that's I've exactly done that on numerous occasions." Um, and I just think the fact is that men don't approach. Unfor- like, fortunately for them, men do not have to think about this like that, and do not think yeah. about this like that. And I, I'm I'm reminded of a brilliant article written by um, a brilliant journalist, actually Maliki Clerken in the Irish Times, um, about a year ago. Uh, where he describes uh, being made aware of this fact that women are, you know, afraid or in many cases are targeted when they try and go for a run. And kind of he, the scales falling from his eyes and realising as he went out for his run, this is Maliki, would be somebody who runs regularly. And when he went out for the run that evening, realising, oh my God, I'm the only, there's no women here. There's just men out running. And he had never actually noticed it until that moment and he then uh, you know went and researched it and like the statistics for uh, young women in particular who stop exercising outdoors or even indoors as you say uh, because of exactly this reason internationally right around the world and in Ireland are staggering and just <laughs> again and uh, you know the fact that we we just we talk about it and yet here we are here we are 2022 here we are still yeah. talking about it and uh women still um you know as you say having to change their behavior because the behavior of men hasn't been changed no um i have to say i was even thinking about this earlier i forgot about it until recently but i was thinking about like i'd heard earlier on the news um the principal from acting murphy school talking about telling um the children in her class what had happened and I was thinking about how these things ultimately become so internalised into people from such young ages, particularly girls. And now we're talking about essentially seven-year-olds. And that's just fundamentally wrong that 
children would be at that point. And I was thinking as well about how when I was in school, I'm 26 now, but when I was in fourth year, and it had been going on for a number of years in my school, my school always ran, and I went to an all-girls school, self-defence classes, went for fourth year. And I don't, again, I don't know if that happens in all boys' schools. And it shouldn't be something that should be the automatic thing that if you're in an all-girls school, that maybe that should be something people are looking at in the future. You shouldn't be have to be trained in some degree of self-defence in order to simply go out for a walk or go for a run or go around your local area or come home from school or know what happened to your teacher. Yeah. Rachel, thank you for uh, joining in this conversation. Uh, it is so important. I think we really, 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 really need to talk. Um, Katie, can I bring you in? Katie, good afternoon. Hi, Katie. Um, you've had experiences like all of us. Yeah, um, I suppose I, I sent the message in really to, to the round, um, I suppose, consent at the end of the day and teaching that to, to uh, or the boys, you know, as children, I suppose, um, and I suppose modelling that behaviour and fathers modelling that behaviour. Um, I suppose my first, it's, Jesus, just horrendous stories today and obviously, um, I just feel like a fraud saying this, you know, because it's what happened last night, last evening is just so horrendous. But um, when I was about six years old, um, we had our toilets in the school were accessible from the playground and the school. And a few of us went in there and there was a man standing in one of the cubicles handling himself. And uh, he asked us all to touch him. Now we giggled and ran off, you know. Um, and it wasn't until around the time of the Me Too campaign that that jumped back into my head and I was, you know, it was actually, it hit me like a, really hard. I was like, my God, that, you know, that was such a, a, a horrible, horrible experience for any, any child, let alone six year, a bunch of six-year-olds to experience. Um, and that's just started, it, it just, it started, it started the ball roll and then and all these other uh, memories and things that happened just, you know, came to the, came to the surface. Um, I know like there's a big difference between somebody exposing themselves in a in a bathroom to whatever happens to that poor young woman yes yesterday. Do you know what I mean? But it's all in a way it's all connected and it's all connected to the way that men view um women. Yeah, I'm just looking at, at your text into us, Katie. You talk about another uh traumatic experience when you were seven. Then yeah. uh when you were twelve. Oh, um I'm a musician, so usually uh, mainly a trad musician. But I've been a lot of a lot of sessions, and since I was quite young, um, and there was one particular um, musician when I was about twelve. He said to me, "If you were sixteen, I'd rape you." Um, and then you know, other times, then he'd say weird, creepy things like, "I saw you at school today with your boyfriend, and you were doing X, Y, and Z in the phone box." Just weird, creepy, creepy stuff. Um, you know, which which made, you know, what should have been a, a really good uh, experience as a young musician have a completely different experience of it. Do you know what I mean? Um, never That never left me. I'm still, you know, he died there a while ago and I was just, you know, I, I, they had to read all the stuff online about what a lovely man he was and blah, blah, blah. You're just like, ah, oh. you know. Yeah. Um, but I remember also working behind the bar when I was quite young over in London and and at the time 
you know, the KP peanuts. They'd be on a peanut card, like a cardboard behind the bar. Yeah. And that's, this was at the time we also had page three in all the newspapers and all the rest of it. Um, and you'd take the peanuts off one by one and it would reveal a, a lady with her breast exposed or, you know, and uh, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can remember all the banter around that, you know, with the lads in the bar and then, you know, the comments that you'd get. And like that, that sort of stuff, I suppose it was back in the 80s as well, but that sort of stuff gives people free reign or men free reign to manhandle women, think that they were objects, comment on their breasts, comment on their appearance, drop the hand, do you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's all it's all related. And uh, I, You see, I do think as well, we, we, we use language that sort of minimises this. We say things like he's yeah. handsy or as you said, he dropped the hand. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, And all of that is actually, you know, that is all, they're all sexual assaults. They absolutely are, yeah. One hundred percent. You know, I have a thirteen-year-old daughter, um, and I just, I just fear for her. You know, I fear for, you know, not. I, I don't fear that something terrible is going to happen to her. So, so, so far as, obviously, we all have that fear, but it's more how she's going to navigate life as as a female. Do you know what I mean? Um, we all know about the holding the keys. We all know about making the phone calls. Um, and even online today, obviously everyone's online. And I mean, a lot of people expressing um, their feelings today online, and which has been, you know, it's been very upsetting to read a lot of it. Um, but it's it's good. It's been, you know, people are sharing a lot. But um, one thing that really struck me is there are certain um, few people who are trying to turn what happened yesterday into their kind of into a, a race thing. Also, um, you know, this not all men crap. It's you know. Yes, it's not all men that go out and do what happened last night. But it's all men have a responsibility. All men have a responsibility in the way they behave, the way they teach their children, the way they, you know, the way they talk to women, the way they view women. They all have a part to play. And that's, you know. And as was said earlier, in in how they talk to each other about women. Oh, and, and to call it out. And to call it out. Katie, I'm going to have to take uh, my last break. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for for uh, calling us with that. And thank you to all our callers. And we're getting so many in. And we'll come to more after these. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And I'm watching the clock and I just want to try and get to as many of these calls as I possibly can. Rachel, good afternoon. Afternoon. Um, I suppose I rang in um, to talk about ex- an experience that I had not so long ago, about four or five years ago, when I was in my uh, mid to late 30s in daylight walking along Leeson Street, where I happened to live at the time. Um, I was walking my dog. I saw this guy approach me. Um, he looked fairly average. You know, he was kind of average height, average type of clothes. He didn't look like he was from any particular socioeconomic background or you know, he just looked like an, an average guy, but he had an air of kind of anger about him. And as he was walking towards me, I was trying to pull my dog away and, and get into my house as quickly as I could. Broad daylight. And as he got closer and closer, he leant in towards me. And I put my right arm up to shield my face and my elbow to the side of my face. And he spat at me. And it got all over my right hand and my glasses. But my immediate feeling was relief. How wrong is it to have that kind of relief? I was, 
I was under the impression that he was actually going to headbutt me or do something physical. The anger was palpable. I did not know this man. Never had, had I met him before. Maybe I represented something to him. He was angry about something. I don't know would he have had the same reaction had it been another man. Um, but I, th- there was no eye contact. There was nothing. There was no interaction between us. And there were two other guys who were across the road who had observed what happened. They stopped and they were looking at everything. And the guy who had uh, spat at me, he just continued walking. My normal, I'd normally be quite an assertive person. My normal reaction would be to, to react or to say, hang on, what the hell are you doing? I didn't in that instance. I, I knew there was this kind of primal sense of danger here. Something's happening. Um, but like I'm 40 years of age now. And I remember from 12 years of age is when I first encountered cat calls. And people in, you know, people calling out the side of the windows, beeps, even like it still happens to me now. Last summer, the partner that I was with, he'd asked me when I was out walking, oh, and he, you know, there'd be beeps he'd hear sometimes. Um, some people say, oh, isn't it nice? You'll miss it when it's gone. Um, you know, and even <laughs> my own mother has said that yeah. to me, you'll miss it when it's gone. And what, what people don't appreciate is it's not, it's not one person that you might encounter. It's, it's the 11th time. I used to walk into work early in the mornings past an early house in Dublin, I used to walk from the CHQ building through to Earlsford Terrace. And the amount of times that there would be people outside that early house smoking cigarettes who would not let me pass, physically not let me pass, they'd dance across the street. I'd have a little bit of banter and I'd get passed and no harm, no foul. But if I was in a different kind of a position, if I was younger, I don't know how I would have reacted. Many years ago in Galway, I got a, a hackney home with another lady who worked in the bar with me and the driver stopped in your square. And his his friends piled in. The guy at the time he wasn't he wasn't um, Irish, so his, he wouldn't have been used to maybe our, our cultural norms or whatever. So I gave him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. His friends piled in beside. They wouldn't let us out. They were trying to bring us to a party. I was really really intimidated by the whole thing. I got out. I made him stop, and I walked the rest of the journey home. But I went into the the Hackney office the next day, which was adjacent to the pub that I worked in and told them what had happened. And subsequently, they had spoken to to the guy and he lost his job. But he came in the next day berating me, getting really aggressive, really angry, and, um, you know, that I was responsible for him losing his job. And it, stru- it struck me as kind of odd. I should have maybe gone to the police at the time about it or whatever, but I just addressed it there. But that, that, that individual had continued working. But if I was younger... If I wasn't assertive in that situation, I could have felt in fear of my life. I might Absolutely. have complied. Rachel, like yeah. I'm so sorry to have to cut you off, uh, but I, I'm told I have to take one last break before the mm. hour is up. I'm really, really sorry to cut you off there, but thank you so much for that. And you are right. Uh, these events uh, definitely uh, change us and we remember them uh, for the rest of our lives. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And I'm afraid that is all we have time for. And I see there's loads of calls that came up on my screen there that I wasn't even able to get to. And I know uh, many more of you trying to get through. Uh, So I want to thank the team on a very busy day today. Joe will be back with you tomorrow. This conversation, I think, has only just begun. Ray Darcy is up next. Liveline on RT Radio 1 with the all-new Kia Sportage, built for endless inspiration. The all-new Sportage, now at your local Kia dealer. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.